0: An airy roar and an orange glow alert you to the flare of a distant fire bursting to life. The flames came out of nowhere, seemingly evoked by magic. You can't yet smell their smoke, but as the angry light grows brighter, you realize the fire is racing toward you description of a fire elemental causing a forest fire is from Describe. Ready, roleplay. Visit Describe.com slash RPGbot and use RPGbot codes to get 5% off your first subscription payment. Oh
1: no. Oh God, he's armed. Mm. The roof, the roof, the roof
0: is on fire. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. The
1: roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We we don't need no water, Dan. Edit this in post. Edit this in post.
0: (laughs) I feel like I lost a few brain cells.
2: (laughs) It was beautiful.
0: Yes, gorgeous as always.
1: Welcome to the RPGbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, a man on fire, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli.
0: Maybe we should get some water and pour it on you. That would be a good idea. Like, are you okay? You said you're on fire. Do you need us to call the fire department?
1: I'm feeling the burn, that's all.
0: Feeling the burn. <laughs> feeling the burn. Well, you know, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to set a fire in your heart.
1: Yeah. Well, we didn't start the fire. But we'll finish it. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Tyler, save us from this. Yes, please.
2: (laughs) Hey, how about let
1: I can't I can't save you
2: from this. (laughs) 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 Hey, let's talk about fire. Ooh, that's a hot topic. Ah, very good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So chances are you have played a role-playing game chances are that role-playing game has had fire in it chances are at some point in a role-playing game you have played you someone you know someone or something around you has been on fire it may or may not have been your fault but we're going to discuss the mechanics of fire and various things being on fire tonight If you're playing with me, it's 100% my fault that you're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Fellow arsonist, uh,
1: high 5 mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be re- I'm going to be real honest. Mechanically, it is not very common for things to be on fire even though there are fire and fireballs firing everywhere. Roleplay-wise, Tyler, you personally have lit so many things on fire and like roleplayed the destruction of entire villages but we didn't solve that mechanically. So I'm actually really excited for this episode <laughs> because, like, just, let's take 5e, 5e alone. There are so many spells where it's like, and if the thing that this hits is flammable, it is now on fire. And my immediate thought is like, I don't know, like, everything's flammable if we try hard and believe in ourselves, right? <laughs> I don't know where to draw that line.
0: <laughs> there's, fl- there's flame retardant stuff,
1: like stone doesn't catch fire. Uh, okay, but stone that, like, in a... In an inn where they've been spilling whiskey for a millennia. Oh yeah, no, that would catch fire. Yes, like, <laughs> mm. that's that's no longer rock. It's just like it's whiskey stone. If you could compress that, you could drink it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad you're going to tell me what's going on because I don't know. I, I really, as a GM, I do not know how to handle this. Okay, well then this is going to be a fun episode for next
2: time I set something on fire. So Tyler. Why are we talking about fire? Have we ro- officially run out of ideas? Uh, <laughs> no, I just had a burning feeling that we needed to talk about this. This is going to be pun the podcast. <laughs> uh, Look, Eventually we'll burn out.
1: Oh, God. But it's not this day. It's not this day.
2: <laughs> just half our user base leaving, half of them just rolling on the floor.
0: Well, you know, my name is Ash. I should be used to all the fire pines <laughs> <laughs> <That doesn't...
2: laughs> Oh no, <laughs>
1: I'm a cinder with ideas. <laughs> all right.
2: So, um, I'm gonna give a caveat up front. So, uh, people may be thinking, "Oh, okay, they're gonna talk about like fire damage from spells." For the most part, no. We are we're mostly going to talk about mundane fire and stuff that happens with fire in games. Like there will be a little little bit of touching on fire because like easiest way to make fire in d is magic. But mostly it's just this is a mundane fire. What happens? So let's talk about how fire works in real life because fire does some things. So uh, Ash, Randall, name some things that fire does. Fire. Better fire hurt
1: okay fire is bad fire is hurt got it randall uh it both creates light and then creates smoke which hides light and so like when the entire west coast is on fire if everything is bright you are too close and you should leave and everything is dark you're just outside seattle and probably things are fine
2: (laughs) Uh, ah yes october fire spider season or you live where
0: i live uh in la and it's just constantly on fire so there's that yeah Uh. (laughs) but do you have flaming spiders Maybe I guess if the if there are spiders in the forest when it's burning, technically they are flaming spiders. Or are we talking about or are we talking about spiders that are uh, attracted to the same sex? Because that would also be a flaming spider.
2: <laughs> Not what I had in mind, but good. No, uh, that's that's Seattle. Like the the fall plague is fire spider season. It's like. September, October, the spiders come out, the fires come out, the spiders catch fire, it is fire spider season. That Two sounds like every a horrible year. place to live. Well, the rest of the time it's raining, so it's, you don't have to worry about the fire spiders I so I
1: stick with my original statement, that sounds Once. like a horrible place to live. No, it's very beautiful uh, during the the heart of the summer before things light on fire. The skies are blue. It's wonderful. The weather is perfect. It's awesome to just get outdoors, enjoy the fresh air. And then, yeah, in October, the flaming spiders are also beautiful
2: (laughs) as they jump on your face.
1: Uh,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so so speaking of wildfires, fire famously spreads. Uh, can either of you tell me what the mechanics are for sp- fire spreading in 5e? There are none. Good. Very nice.
0: <laughs> As someone who has tried and failed multiple times to figure this out, mm-hmm. I found out the hard way, there's none. Fires <laughs> are
1: stationary in the fi- 5e world. <laughs> yeah, I guess, How how does that work, right? So let's say I use... Uh, Agnus there's Scorcher. I light everything in line on a fire. If there's anything flammable, it is ignited. But yeah, like I could be in a textile factory with just rugs everywhere, like rugs and bare threads and dry air. And I could light a row of these on fire and everything else would be fine from here to eternity.
0: Yeah. Surprisingly, there is more effort and description. Put into the mechanics of how an
2: avalanche advances and moves <laughs> then fire. Yeah, that, that seems like an oversight. Like, how often do players cause avalanches? Once in a while. How often if, do players burn something down? Constantly. If you're an Icewind Dale, it seems every other session
0: is an avalanche. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair.
2: <laughs> All right. So some mechanical things that fire do. It's going to cause you damage. It's going to produce light. It's going to produce smoke which may or may not have mechanics depending on the game you're playing and there might be some like persistent effects like ongoing damage to things or objects breaking apart things like that it's going to depend on your games um so let's hit light because that is the easiest thing here uh, after that it starts to get crazy so guys how much light does a torch produce
0: uh, I believe it's 20 feet of
1: dim light and 20 feet of bright light. Correct. Um, I would, oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Ah. I was going to be wrong. Oh, uh, what were you going to say? Uh, I was thinking it was 20 foot of bright light and then 60 foot to dim light. Ah, uh, no, yeah, Ash has
2: it right. So it's a 20-foot oh, radius oh. of bright and then 20 more of dim. Um, almost always in D&D, if there is light, it's X amount of bright light and then X amount of dim light beyond that.
0: Yeah, the reason I know this is because as a person who runs D&D on Rule 20 a lot and I use dynamic lighting,
2: I need to know these things pretty yeah. consistently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, next quiz. How much light does a candle produce? 10 feet
0: of dim light, 10 feet of bright light, right? Sorry. Right? I, I
2: guess that's wrong.
1: No, I'm, I'm going to go with what Ash said.
2: Uh, it is five feet of dim light. At the
1: oh,
2: yeah. yeah. So wandering a dungeon with a candle, not great. But if you need to read things and you have dark vision, candle works fine. So so that establishes a very important thing. More fire, more light. Very simple. I'm shocked. Shocked. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> policy. Like, really? Yeah. Uh, now, strangely, the the way that this scales is super vague because, uh, uh, you know, that spell create bonfire. Randall, you've cast him many times.
1: All the time. Constantly.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, exactly as much light as a torch. That makes no sense. It's a bonfire.
1: Yep. So, yeah. That, that's French for a good fire. <laughs> uh, wow that was
0: okay that i took my hat to you sir that was that was a good one that was very good
1: <laughs> all right i don't know where to go from it's, there. it's just as good as a torch i think like that you would expect an, it to be better than a torch no one has ever looked yeah. at a torch but like that's you, a great fire you
0: are correct sir that is a valid point i think this is where we end the podcast because i don't think we're going to do better than that <laughs> we bonfire uh, bonfire good fire that's all you need to know we're done
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh the next step up in light from torches is the spell daylight what quiz yeah how much how much light does the spell daylight produce 60 foot of dim and dark that's right uh, yeah. sixty feet of bright, sixty five feet, feet of dim, uh, and as far as I know, there's nothing in between. Like there is might it, be one off. Isn't the spell light thirty feet of dim
0: and thirty feet of bright? I thought it was.
2: No, it exactly matches a torch. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's already easy enough to replace light, magical light, with just buying a torch. <laughs> they they wouldn't want to make the cantrip make a uh, one copper piece stick that's on fire obsolete, would they?
1: But like, if, if the whole party holds a torch and we just stand a little bit apart, we're already better than daylight.
0: Uh, yeah. Perfect. At some point, <laughs> we, need to t- we need to go into a topic about light itself because it is very hard, especially if you're dealing with dark places, to know exactly how you see past dim light and stuff like that and where dark, lights limita- dark, dark visions and limitations are. But that's for a different time.
2: Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is a good answer. Another episode. Another hey, episode. I'm, I'm just gonna take a day note day of hours. that right quick,
1: but everybody. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> all right. So of those things we just discussed, how many of them produce smoke? Uh torches, bonfires. hmm Candles do not. Uh, and daylight
1: does not. So two. I'm gonna say a candle creates smoke. Very, very small amount.
2: But yeah. Yeah, so D&D, Pathfinder, games like this typically don't have mechanics for smoke from any of these light sources, but uh, torches were typically made with burning pitch, and pitch is famously very, very smoky. So it's just a little weird that you can just walk into enclosed spaces with a torch, and everyone
1: is perfectly fine with that.
0: Yeah, and you just don't pass out no matter how far into the cavern you go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so you, you lose stealth from the light, but not from everybody hacking their lungs up. Exactly.
0: Which is why lantern would be the obvious alternative. It really would, yeah. (laughs) Speaking of, what
2: do we have mechanics on how much light lantern sheds? We sure do, and I just don't remember what they are. Give me just a moment, I'm going to pull one up.
1: Sure. Dan, cue the music. Oh, hey, look at that.
2: A hooded lantern casts bright light in a 30-foot radius and dim light for an additional 30 feet. Okay, so I... Uh, ha, I, I knew there was something that did Yeah, that. I overlooked that in my research. Shame on me. I Honestly, I just didn't think about lanterns because they weren't sufficiently on fire. Shame. Shame. <laughs> Can I also discuss
0: a, a question? Why do candles shed such small light, but a lantern, which also uses a candle, does more than a torch? what that's are the mechanics a- on that
2: mirrors it's got mirrors i guess like at the very least like a spotlight lantern focuses the light in one direction which For I could sure but that justify would, but- that would be a cone of light rather than like an uh a radius oil versus wax i, I guess man i don't know <laughs> tell you what go outside when it's really really dark wait you live in hollywood that's never that's never gonna happen, lantern
0: Lanternologists. Yeah, DM us. Tell us
1: what we're missing here. Yeah. So uh, if, if you happen to work for Coleman, yeah, reach out. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's burn through an ad break real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll start talking about burning things to the ground.
1: That was illuminating. <laughs> Perfect. All let's right.
0: See the fire. <laughs>
1: All right, so
2: let's start with very simple. There is fire on the ground. Uh, This is a situation in which players will very frequently find themselves. Sometimes it's their fault, sometimes it's not. Mostly it's theirs. If my own personal experiences are anything to be believed, mostly it's the player's fault. So, what do we do with fire that's just sitting on the ground being fire? Uh, Now we talk. How dare you, sir? (laughs) <laughs> all right so let's say you are a player there is a five foot square of fire and you need to move through this fire what happens to you you should catch fire honestly that actually makes a lot of sense you,
0: you won't, won't because <laughs> that's not how it works in 5e but yeah. it would make sense for you to catch if you walk through a fire and you are wearing
1: clothes you are probably going to catch fire Okay. I I sincerely do not know this, but with all of my reading of five-year rules, here's what I'm going to speculate. If I start my turn in the space on mundane fire, or if during my turn I willingly enter a space that is on fire with mundane fire, at that point I'm either just going to take damage... Or somehow I'm magically going to make a dexterity throw, <laughs> like a de- dexterity saving throw, like I'm walking across hot coals, like, ah, maybe I'm good enough, this isn't going to hit me. The fire's up to my navel, it doesn't matter, like, I can still dex my <laughs> way out of this. That That's my prediction, let's see how this goes. Yeah, that that's about
2: right. Uh, like, we don't have super clear mechanics on this one, but, I mean, that's that's probably how I would handle it. If you move into the space by any means, you'd probably take, like, a D6 of fire damage depending on how crazy I wanted the fire to be like huge, huge raging wildfire. I might upgrade that to like 2d6 or 4d6 or something. But if it's just like, ah, someone threw, uh, well, actually there's the mechanic. If you throw oil on the floor and light it on fire, it does 1d6 fire damage. And that is that like, so you know, if
0: it's- you start a fire, normally it doesn't do any damage.
2: There's no explicit, like, here's how much damage a mundane fire does. The closest explicit example we can get is just I have thrown oil on the ground and lit the oil on fire. Beyond that, like, look at your DM screen. There's a table for improvising damage.
1: Okay, so especially for the oil fire, but I almost feel like this way for many types of fire. Let's say I'm in a building and the building is on fire. Uh, or parts of it are, like, you know, it's spreading across floor, though it doesn't do that in 5e, and I recognize that. Once again, <laughs> there's no such thing as velocity or momentum in 5e. Would you consider treating it as difficult terrain? Because I don't know if you've ever tried to walk through fire. It's not that, great. That's an uh, interesting thought. Maybe. Randall, I'd walk through fire for you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Would you do it quickly? Could you do that 30 foot per second? I think I could make it. I can think I could swing it. <laughs> Yeah, there's a counter argument to this, which is: Have you ever walked through fire? You tend to do it quickly. You don't take your time. You, no. <laughs>
0: yeah, you just go quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, related to fire, it always bothers me how how D and D has handled lava as well. Mm. Like realistically, if you're within like ten or five feet of a magma river, you should probably be bursting into flame. <laughs> but- yeah. <laughs> You can even walk on magma and you'll be fine (laughs) in D&D.
1: But there's actually something to that, right? Like the the, uh, air is a terrible conductor of heat. And so if you're in a place where there's fresh air and the air is able to like move through so you have convection, the air isn't likely to superheat. But then if you're in a place where like, okay, look, this air is stagnant and it's contained, that air is going to get very hot very quickly. And even breathing that air in will literally burn your lungs. So in a contained, like, house fire, that's one of the ways that a lot of people either injure themselves or even die is actually breathing in super hot air. But if you're out in the open and there's just a flow, it wouldn't actually do this to you. Similarly, well, yeah, don't, don't actually try to walk on it. So not similarly. If you try to walk on, <laughs> on lava, magma, it'll suck. It'll- <laughs> you're going to lose a foot. Yeah. <laughs> that's a <laughs> frontal not <laughs> call
2: seven. I'm pretty sure Water Walk the spell actually does let you walk across magma explicitly. It, it does. Yeah, it doesn't uh, protect had, you from the heat.
0: I had a I had a 30 minute argument with one of my players about it and how I thought it was stupid and dumb and made no sense. Like, but it lets me do it. It's a liquid. Lets me walk on liquid.
2: I'm like, <laughs> it's Earth. It's magma. It's hot. You are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me. Yeah, you can walk across it as long as your hit points hold up. Yeah. 10d10 (laughs) per round let's go (laughs) okay so speaking of or jumping back to fire that's on the ground that isn't lava let's talk about how fire spreads so for this one we're going to have to jump in the wayback machine again so we're going to go all the way back to third edition yet again and uh, we're going to find the one clear example in third edition forest fires now a, a lot of D takes place in and around forests a lot of D involves players burning things down so the natural outcome is eventually players are going to start a forest fire and you're going to have to uh you know, do your best smoky the bear impression and then you're going to have to figure out what to do only you can prevent
1: forest fires yes but no, right we've skipped past that at this point to be clear <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're starting a forest fire Screw you,
1: Now he's our, out with a shovel and a shotgun. Now, just looking for you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, forest fires. Um, the the mechanics here actually persisted in three 30, oh three five Pathfinder one Starfinder weirdly and almost perfectly into PF two, almost completely unchanged through all of these systems. Um, and reasonably, you could adapt it to five E almost as written with very little change. It works just fine. So like I'll have a link in the show notes for, for forest fires. But just looking at this thing, it is more complex than most traps I've seen. There's special rules for how far away you can see it from. There's essentially three hazards in here. There's heat damage, which, Randall, you talked about people burning their lungs from hot air. Uh, there's catching on fire, which we'll get to. And there's smoke inhalation. And as far as I know, in all of the rules for every RPG I've ever played, this is the only time I've ever seen the phrase smoke inhalation. So if you want to simulate this stuff, here's where you go.
1: What I will say, I'm going to be real blunt. I don't want to do this. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. I'm going to go somewhere else for a second and then we'll we'll bring it back here. Has anyone, and by that I mean Tyler, I know you have because you've done it with (laughs) me, played the board game Flashpoint? I think so. So the purpose of the game is you're a firefighter going into a house to save people in the house while it's on fire. And they give you beautiful mechanics for like, well, you know, at the end of a turn, if there's a cell next to fire, it turns to smoke. If, you know, after that, the next turn, that smoke turns fire. And so like, there's a mechanic for growing fire, growing fire and managing smoke is the most tedious thing that I think I've ever done in a game. And this is a game about managing fire and smoke <laughs> So, in the game where the whole point of what I'm doing is dealing with growing fire and managing smoke and the impact on firefighters. If I don't particularly love it in this game, I don't want it in my tabletop.
2: Uh, you know, that honestly might be
1: why there aren't mechanics for it in 5e. Yeah, But <laughs> hey, if you're a person at home, it's like, well, I do want it and I love Flashpoint. And how dare you? We're going to keep going.
2: <laughs> All right. All right. So forest fires, third edition. It specifies that fire moves at roughly 120 feet per round, which uh cool we, we've talked about. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So in 5e, famously uh humans have a 30 foot speed and you can move and then dash to move 60 feet. Um in third edition, you could do a full run and move in a perfectly straight line four times your speed. So you could exactly keep pace with the fire.
0: Um, but, that yeah. seems unrealistic. With the it fi- sure does. <laughs> with how fast no, that, um, that is insanely quick fire spreadage. That's yeah. it, okay. I think that's the same amount of speed
1: as an avalanche in Fifth Edition. You might okay. It fire fire does have the capacity to actually move very quickly in a force fire, especially if everything is primed for it. So I don't want to say it's unrealistic, but it isn't the kind of unrealism that we like in our games. A- again, yeah.
0: Reality is unrealistic.
1: Yeah. Like my favorite version of unrealism is that I emitted the fireball that started this forest fire from my hand and that I would like it to stay in place. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> well, let me introduce you to incendiary cloud. All right. All right. So forest fire first danger is heat damage. So the first sentence is just getting caught within a forest fire is even worse than being exposed to extreme heat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, so breathing the hot air causes you to take damage. Um, You can make a fortitude save or take damage. Oh, no, sorry. So you automatically take 1d6 points of damage per round just because the air is hot. And then if you're breathing, you take more damage, so you can hold your breath to avoid that. If you're wearing heavy clothes or any sort of armor, you take penalties on all the saves. Um, Metal armor will gradually heat up as though subject to a heat metal spell, so it's it's just piling on this sucks this is terrible to track and it's unpleasant for everyone are you breathing yes i wouldn't (laughs) yeah hold your breath you can do it for like 10 minutes you'll be fine remember kids the meta is to start holding your breath at the beginning of combat
1: always absolutely because you don't have to breathe you can hold your breath for like hours at this point i think that's what we figured out (laughs) you're level 20 you have to breathe like every tuesday (laughs) yeah it's it's insane i very quickly uh because i went and i looked this up very quickly with a six second round do you know how fast a forest fire could move in the real world how fast 120 feet per round no way really really yes yeah Uh, about 14 miles per hour is how fast forest fires will will move under good conditions it's terrifying
0: this just goes back to my whole point about Pathfinder, my criticism Pathfinder One in general, uh, and 3.x, is they were very good at realism, but they sacrificed realism. Uh, they sacrificed fun for realism. <laughs> so Fair. It's like, yeah. Cool. I
2: get that's realistic. Doesn't make it fun or enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, second danger of forest fires: catching on fire and I'm just going to skip this one for now because we're going to do a whole bit on being on fire personally. Um, (laughs) It's going to be a good time. Don't worry. Uh, The third danger is smoke inhalation. It's, again, just if you're breathing smoke, you take more damage from choking, which is really strange because you're taking heat damage for breathing and also damage for choking. So it's like, why didn't they just make that one thing? I don't understand. Also, you think someone would change it between the additions. No, (laughs) Again, going for that realism over fun stuff. It's like, yes,
0: we want to find a way that we can track both choking on smoke and
2: also your lungs catching on fire. So let's do both of those. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So PF1 copy pasted the forest fire mechanics, like did not change them one bit, not one word. Starfinder almost exactly duplicates it, but added the additional problem of heat damage also causes fatigue so they kept the exact same mechanics and made it worse do the fatigue rules look anything like exhaustion and 5e no they're it's a different impact i'm forgetting now if it uses something similar to 3x uh yeah check the conditions appendix in starfinder i believe they're pretty brutal yeah All right, and then we're going to jump to PF2, where they did actually make a few changes here. This is the first time, like, forest fires have been a thing since uh, 3.0 was published in the year 2000, or 2001, I'm forgetting. Um, And this is the first time someone thought to include mechanics for how to extinguish fire. What a concept. I know, right? Putting out
0: the fire? Why would you put out my glorious fire?
2: Yeah. That's (laughs) Um, my fire. All right, but I'm going to tell you right now, they're dumb. Uh, <laughs> the, no, the mechanics are bad. Yeah. don't say that uh okay so create water in pf2 produces two gallons of water and that is apparently enough to extinguish a five by five square of a forest fire like that alone stretches belief uh a bucket a standard five gallon bucket is enough to extinguish four squares that is a 10 by 10 area of burning forest fire that you can put out with a bucket Randall, you have done campfires and you've been outside. Um, Like, you've got a nice, raging, sturdy fire
1: going. Five-gallon bucket, going to completely put that thing out? Okay, so this is tough. Yes and no. Okay. If I have nice roaring flames, like they're really tall, I can extinguish the flames. The lit wood will still be lit, and pretty soon it is going to ignite again. So, I could deal with the immediate issue. I can, you know, cool things off, so to speak. I could also probably prevent the spread if it had escaped. But I'm not done. I need more water if I'm trying to A, cool the area because it's still going to be hot, and B, prevent it from spreading. Yeah. So, this isn't completely absurd. It's just
2: a little absurd. (laughs) Well, that's a five gallon bucket for a fire that fits inside a five foot square.
0: You both are complaining about realism. And I don't think that you've learned your lesson from Pathfinder 1. Realism sucks. Okay? Yeah, we I don't want to deal with it. This is fine. I'm okay with this. That's
1: actually, that's fair. Tyler, I take it back. What I meant to say was what he said okay that's fair
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right so give me a spritz bottle like i'm just gonna (laughs) all
0: right
2: we're we're just gonna suspend disbelief there and say you know what there's mechanics we're putting out fire and we're just gonna be happy with it. i mean do you
0: want do you want to do go back to like the days of like bucket takes away maybe a square but not really because then the next round it comes back that sounds miserable i don't want (laughs) to do that just a bucket (laughs) takes care of four squares fine perfect, whatever. It works for me. I don't care.
1: How many Uh, squares of fire do you think I could put out with a day's allotment of mayonnaise? (laughs) (laughs) Because at least that's like thick. It doesn't like get absorbed into the ground immediately. Well, then what are you going to do with the mayonnaise?
0: You've got mayonnaise everywhere. It's it's better than fire. fire. Yeah. (laughs) Have
1: you ever taken mayonnaise damage? I mean, That's slow damage. Like you take that every day of your life. You don't notice for five years. It's fine. Just, is mayonnaise a damage type? Wait, look, custard is.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, you're right. It is.
0: <laughs> what happened? Did I did, did I fall asleep and we're in Crazy Town now? What? How did we get on this topic from going from fire to custard to oh.
2: mayonnaise? And okay, the the alchemy jug lets you produce an absurd quantity of mayonnaise every day, which oh. you could in theory then put well, on fire.
0: Y- you know, there's also the decanter of endless water. You fools.
2: That. Feels like a better solution.
1: Problem, <laughs> what am I going to do with all this mayonnaise?
2: <laughs> uh, not extinguish fires, apparently. I Eat it st- out of the jar, I guess. Oh, God, no.
0: <laughs> they uh, Actually, you left, but uh, Grog, the character on Critical Role, did exactly that in campaign one, and it was hilarious.
2: Jeez,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that didn't the make that into on a- <laughs> uh, Oof.
2: Uh, All right, so back to things that don't horrify me, the mechanics of fire. So PF2 has the most explicit mechanics for how fire actually grows. It just says it grows by 50% each round. So if you have, you know, one square of fire, it's going to round up, you get another square of fire. If you have two squares, you now have three squares and so on, it multiplies by 50% round down minimum one every round, and it just keeps growing until presumably the DM decides... I think I have enough fire. So, hey, if you want mechanics for how fire spreads in your 5e game, there you go. Count how many squares of fire you have, multiply by 1.5 and
1: round down. Okay, I'm not asking for realism. I'm asking to save, I think, literally the world, at least the city. (laughs) I, I feel like you have to just add to that that a space can only be on fire for so many rounds. That seems reasonable, yeah. Cause like once we get to like a hundred squares, it's like, I need the entire city to know the cantrip to be able to create water so that we can put this thing out. Like the wizard school caught on fire first. It was the dorms were hosed.
0: (laughs) Uh, I see what you did there. Good pun.
2: (laughs) Uh, Oh, it snuck past me. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, (laughs) That sounds miserable, though, and it's just one more thing I have to keep track of with the horribleness that is fire.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. so you may just say, like, "Eh, fire grows as much as I say it does. If the players ask for an explanation, just say, this thing was extremely flammable and this thing wasn't because I said so. A wizard did it. Shut up. (laughs) Let's take a deep breath somewhere that's not smoky. Let's take a quick ad break, and then we'll come back and we'll light ourselves on fire. On top of the smoky
1: All covered with cheese <laughs> I think those are
2: different songs, but I don't know I don't know either, that sounded right actually <laughs> It's the same tune, it's on top of spaghetti Oh yeah I've heard it both ways <laughs> Alright, who wants to be on fire? Me, oh please me
0: I've had I've I've grown tired of living. (laughs)
2: Uh, I had a friend in college who uh, somehow ended up making friends with someone who is like a Hollywood stunt person. One year for, for my friend's birthday party, they arranged a like Hollywood stunt like person on fire thing. Like so whatever they do to light people on fire in movies, they did that that was the party sounds like a wild party okay Must have been. Um, you said this how,
0: was an you said this was an la uh seattle actually oh uh, okay i was gonna say <laughs> that sounds pretty tip, like a pretty typical la party <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right so how much damage did they take per round how quickly did it spread mm. the fact that they were wearing because i'm assuming the clothing that they were wearing didn't actually burn up and I'm assuming the reason that is is because they were wearing it, and usually it, we only ignite things that are not currently being worn.
2: I don't have answers to any of those questions. Yeah, we needed
0: to put down a bunch of like measurements of five foot square boxes while he was on fire to
2: measure how quickly it spread. <laughs> yeah, how do we adapt this to D and D? No, uh, uh, no, I was I wasn't there. Was not interested in being on fire. Uh, so so let's talk about fictionally being on fire. So you guys have played plenty of 5e. Um name one mechanic that lights you on fire. Fire elementals. When they hit you, you catch fire. That's one. Randall, can you think of another? No. Okay. Uh well there aren't many, fortunately. Okay, uh, good. Yeah, it's it's fire elementals and alchemist fire, and to the best of my knowledge, that's it. <gasps> That okay, it's so weird
0: though that it's only those two that catch yeah. you on fire, not regular fire, not fire ball, which mm-hmm. you know sets flammable things on fire, just
2: <laughs> unattended for- <laughs> unattended flammable objects, yeah, um, yeah, most of the time when something sets something on fire, it's a spell that says unattended flammable objects can catch fire, lightning bolt can set things on fire, which makes sense from physics perspective, all right, so. So let's talk about the specific mechanics of what happens once you are on fire. So we can once again jump to 3X and look at forest fire. Let's see, so 3X actually had a bunch of things that could let you on fire. Uh, there was a, eventually a spell called a ray of flame that did some damage up front, and then the secondary effect was uh, if the target failed a reflex save, they were then on fire until they spent an action to put the fire out you know, big, slow enemies, you could set them on fire and run
1: away. And it was a good time. Okay. The reflex save, was that just you wildly beating at your body to put out the fire? Was that your reflex? I, I assume yeah. if you rolled on the
2: fire, if you rolled on the fire, if you roll on the floor while on fire, you got a plus four bonus to your to your saving throw. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. They, they were teaching
1: you stop, drop and roll in three X. They sure were fantastic okay good we'll have a link to stop (laughs) drop and roll in the show notes i don't know if people are still familiar with this when i was a child they taught us stop drop and roll like being on fire was something i was regularly gonna have to be concerned with like we did more of those drills than we did quicksand drills (laughs) well how many times has quicksand come up about as many times as i've been on fire (laughs) be
2: glad uh
0: be glad you didn't live in the 50s where they told you to you know duck for cover for um, from a nuclear weapon, you know. That's fair. Let, yeah. Let's go let's go under our desk to protect ourselves from a nuclear weapon. That's fair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you wouldn't have to worry about the fire. <laughs> yeah, because you'd be dead. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh hey, so I think I've talked about this before, but in 3X your gear could take damage while you're wearing it. Uh, oh, cool. uh I hate it. absolutely terrible. Uh. Yeah. Uh, so when you caught fire in three X, uh, and I believe this also applies to PF one, um, yeah. either your body, your hair would catch on fire or your clothes and equipment would catch on fire. There is no mechanical rule telling you which one happened. So it's literally just how much does your DM hate you? Um, When your gear caught on fire, all of the items you were wearing all caught on fire, and you had to make reflex saves for items individually <laughs> to put out the fire. No. You, now you got to. It was a DC 15 save, so like as you advance in levels, it wasn't super difficult, and you got to make the save automatically at the end of each of your turn. But until you put out the fire,
1: all of your gear is taking 1d6 damage. Okay, That's so I've got it. like a cool shirt on and some awesome Mm -hmm. pants and a fancy hat those three things are on fire i have to make a saving throw for all three of them at the end of my turn but i get to make three saving throws in the turn you you sure do okay now at the end of the turn my hat is still on fire because i failed a saving throw does the fire then spread to the rest of my equipment or at the end of my next turn do i only have to save for hat uh you only have to save for hat Okay, this is still terrible, but it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, Why don't I set
0: you on fire, 3.x rules? <laughs> 3.x was a beautiful game. How dare you? <laughs> make a reflex save, 3.x.
2: <laughs> Could I just not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like the. Let's see. So, weird quirk in the system here, but you only got to make the reflex save for your items as long as you were wearing them. So, if you took the items off, put them down. They were still on fire items that weren't flammable or like wouldn't take fire damage, still on fire, continued to be on fire. So like, ah, my metal sword, I'm going to set this down with the rest of the fire and it's going to continue to be on fire until somebody picks it up and does a reflex save to
1: put it out. Why does this work this way? Who knows? Could I choose to just not do the reflex save and have a flaming sword? possibly i honestly
2: can't remember and you would have to dissect the text and like the saving throw rules can you intentionally fail i believe in three five you could you could intentionally fail most saving throws because it makes sense like oh it's a reflex save i'm just going to stand still how does steel how does steel catch fire what a great question Mm. i do not have an answer for you sir
1: (laughs) Oh, steel has uh, is a combination of iron and carbon, and as we know, trees are made of carbon, which are famously flammable. Therefore, I think it's perfectly logical that steel too would be flammable
2: because it's made of trees. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: nerd. <laughs> All right.
2: <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> well, no, my
1: metallurgy book is on fire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh gosh. I, I pasted the entire text of the catching on fire rules in here and I'm I'm not gonna read the whole thing. Why? I'm just, I'm like, Why did you do that? Look, I'm gonna read the last paragraph so you know I'm not kidding. Those okay. unlucky enough to have their clothes or equipment catch on fire must make DC fifteen reflex saves for each item. Flammable items that fail take the same amount of damage as the character. Oh, so you take the damage too while your gears on. Oh fire. lovely. And it's a must, so you do have to roll to put it all out.
0: I do think it's funny how there's a there's an option of either your hair, your clothes, or your mm. body being on fire. So how does that make sense? Your body's on fire, but somehow your clothes are fine. So it's like you're just a paladin who's like got <laughs> armor on, then uh, you see smoke coming out of his helmet, and you're like, what's going on there? It's like, I'm <laughs> on fire. Help me out <laughs> of the suit.
2: <laughs> I, I look, I think they wanted to cover all bases. If I am a completely naked lizard folk, they still want me to be able to enjoy being on fire.
0: Mm.
2: Yes, it's nice. Nice. <laughs> to <be> on <laughs> All right. So we're going to jump to Starfinder and like we don't usually talk about Starfinder a lot because it's not a system I know super well yet. Um, but Starfire m- made some changes. It's not. Better. It's different (laughs) okay so i'm going to read the first paragraph and i think you guys are going to immediately see the problem condition burning you are on fire as long as you have this condition at the start of your turn each round before you take any actions or attempt the reflex saving throw described below you take the listed amount of damage as fire damage or 1d6 if no amount is listed Fire damage from multiple sources that inflict the burning condition is cumulative. You can make me
1: more on fire. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I was some on fire and I didn't like it. (laughs) And then you made me more on fire. So
0: this turns Ray of Fire, uh, Ray of Flame or whatever that spell was, into a godly spell. Yeah, just cast he, it on a person multiple times. Oh God, this uh, no! Oh God, this is horrible. Why are you adding more flames? No, why?
2: <laughs> yeah, literally just stack damage over time, and just boy, uh, so it continues to get worse from there. At the end of each round, you are burning. You can attempt a reflex saving throw to remove the condition. The DC of this saving throw is equal to ten plus the amount of fire damage you took this round. Oh from the burning
1: <laughs> So as you stack the fire damage. You could get to the point where you can't put it out. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So all you have to do is just uh stack it up to like five d6 damage yeah. every round and just
2: watch <laughs> and, and the it,
0: guy scream as he slowly turns into ashes.
2: Yeah, just throw a bunch of alchemist fire on somebody and leave. It's like uh, mathematically impossible for them to put themselves out if as I long as they can't start water.
0: If I ever play startle finder, uh, I'm uh, I'm specking into a person that just sets things on fire and nothing else.
2: (laughs) You you do get a plus two bonus for each previous saving throw you've attempted in consecutive rounds. So over time, it does get a little easier. But like you can still keep stacking that damage and get a lot of damage just by setting somebody on fire and leaving.
1: I, I love this idea, though, that like, hey, it's really You know, character advancement is slow. It takes a long time to learn a new skill. But here's the deal: when you fail to put yourself out when you're on fire, and you immediately try again, you're gonna get better at it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I do love. Okay, so uh, you can automatically in this condition by jumping into enough water to douse yourself. If you don't have enough water on hand, you can instead roll on the ground and yeah, stop, drop, and roll. Get the plus four bonus. Uh, I love the idea though of like. There's there's a puddle of water and you have jumped in it and it is not enough and so you are still just (laughs) (laughs) um but okay in the same rule system I could take a bucket and like get two gallons of water in a bucket and then put out enough fire that fills a five by five square. Yes. Okay. But not yourself apparently. Correct. (laughs) My my best bet is just lie down. And be the fuel in the five by five square as I'm dead. Uh, and then you can put me out and then you can raise me. Probably. Yes. Okay. Just as long as we're all on the same page.
2: It's <laughs> so being on fire, it sucks. Don't do it, but it's good to know stop, drop and roll still works in space. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to hit on PF2 real quick. Cause this is the first time that, um, being on fire is a thing that will happen very frequently. And also it's not a nightmare. Being on fire just uses the standard persistent damage rules. End of your turn, you make a DC 15 flat check for each source of persistent damage. If you succeed, it goes away. That's it. There's even a mechanic to intentionally light yourself on fire, which is a thing that goblins can do because of course they can.
0: Just just some further proof that goblins are in fact the best race. yes (laughs)
2: yeah torch goblin you set yourself on fire you get plus one fire damage but you're also really good at putting yourself out so it doesn't last
1: very long okay these are these are player options that you're telling me about okay so i could be like a goblin alchemist and i can smash you with fire and then i can smash myself with fire and then i can stab you on fire that's awesome (laughs) yes
0: rad now you know why alchemists and uh goblins go together like uh, peanut butter and jelly yep we're, we're like fire, more fire
1: because in some <laughs> games stacks. <it's> accurate
2: <laughs> so let, let's move the fire slightly further away from our bodies and let's talk about hitting stuff with fire specifically torches hey have you guys seen the lord of the rings movies
1: yes, yes. Okay. Aragorn on Do- top of the hill, the ring rates coming at them, and he's like, exactly. ah, ah, waving it around, and they're like, "No, it's too bright." You know, when yeah. this you- is my one life's
0: mission, but that's <laughs> too bright. You would t- you entitled the section "Fire on a Stick," which immediately made me think that we were going to be talking about dynamite which oh. <laughs> uh, I was very excited about. And then it turned out torches. I'm like, All right, that's, that's cool, but it's not dynamite. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's fair. I, I thought about the weird comedian from the 90s who, who did the puppets. He was like, how do oh, yeah.
0: you want a stick? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Well, now I can't
2: get that out of my head. We can keep uh, going, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, torches. At some point, uh, your players may be tempted to use a torch as a weapon. Have either of you guys felt this compulsion? No. Oh, well, I, maybe I know once it's not going to work the, once with a the troll the troll. Yeah, there you go. That's a good reason. All right. So so all the systems I know, a torch is generally not considered an actual weapon, despite the fact that it is essentially a club that you've put fire on one end of. So whatever game you're using, it's generally going to be an improvised weapon. So 3x, you take a minus four penalty to attacks. Uh, 5e, you don't add your proficiency bonus. Um, now the mechanics, um, weirdly, like 3x and Pathfinder like very much agree on what a torch does. 5e has decided that torches do exactly one damage, which is frustrating because an improvised weapon typically does 1d4. 5e is just like no torches are gonna suck and there's nothing you can do about it so there
1: so i hit you okay i I really want to make sure that i understand what you're saying i'm a fighter Mm -hmm. i hit you with my torch on fire Mm -hmm. i deal one fire damage yeah i then use an action surge i dip my torch in water i hit you again with the same stick now not on fire and I roll a 1d4 and potentially deal 4 damage, plus my strength? Yeah. Cool. Cool rules. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah,
2: makes a um, lot of I, sense. I think you might still get your strength damage on the fire damage. That's always been kind of vague and poorly worded and ambiguous. Like, it's still a melee weapon attack, so you should still get strength. So it's like 1 fire plus strength, but still.
1: Okay, in my game, you're at least going to get that.
2: That feels like a good consolation
1: prize. I mean, okay, actually, let's be honest. Let's fix this for people. Let people roll the one d four. Let them add their strength modifier, then add the one fire damage on top of it. That is the only way this makes any sense whatsoever. As much damage as you are going to do, you get all that plus one fire damage. Yeah, plus it encourages people to actually use torches.
0: Yeah, it's so dumb how just a state of thing makes it worse. Like setting something on fire objectively makes a thing just. Suck,
1: yeah. <laughs> one, I know the folks hard at work on one D are, or I'm sorry, 5e, the future edition. Uh, you're, you're listening to this right now, go ahead, just write that in. That way, in the next <laughs> edition of DD 5e, we have this.
2: Yeah, look, I want my tavern brawler to run around punching things and hitting them with torches and chairs and such. I want yeah.
0: torch nonchakos.
2: That'd be great. <laughs> yeah.
1: take, take the torch off the wall and beat a dude with it. <laughs> Then put it back oh jerk
2: so i i'm gonna jump back to 3x because torches basically do work exactly like you described randall uh it's the 1d4 plus one there's a there's a little more dumb nuance to it because it's damage equal to a gauntlet of its size which for a medium creature is 1d4 that introduces weird questions like do torches suddenly have sizes because that's never mentioned anywhere do gnomes get to use two-handed torches? Can I get a gargantuan torch and swing that around? Like all these very, very dumb questions that rightfully I don't think anyone has asked until right this second.
1: Well, okay, let's be realistic though. If there's a forest fire and there is a downed tree on fire, that is nothing but a gargantuan torch.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll take
2: it. I'm gonna take my uh super optimized monkey grip build, grab the gargantuan torch in one hand and just Beat a dude with it.
1: Yeah. Again, if you're in an inn and the large beam overhead is lit on fire and fallen, that's at least a huge torch, right? Oh, it's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh,
2: PF2 just kept it simple. 1d4 plus 1 damage. Good choice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Lord of the Rings actually like leaned into the concept there. Uh, One ring 2e. And a little less the the new Lord of the Rings role playing five e. Um, some monsters have a fear of fire, and that's a mechanic in the game in in one ring, uh, they have this mechanic called hate where they have like a pool of cool points. And if it's depleted, the monster gets tired and wants to leave monsters that are afraid of fire if they're adjacent to a source of fire such as a torch they lose a hate point each round now hate points let them do like big scary stuff so this would be like a dragon breathing fire or something horrifying like that if they're afraid of fire get a torch it works
1: yeah so one ring two especially the characters are very squishy and when you get injured it potentially can take a very long time to recover and if you're injured in a dungeon the party might be hosed or your character might be hosed. Uh, so we actually had a situation where I think Tyler and I were both downed. And ultimately, I think the only reason we survived the encounter was because somebody pulled out a torch and started waving it around and scared off the, the ooey-gooey bad boys who were trying to do, do, do <laughs> death to us. So yeah, it, it was a really cool mechanic, which, I mean, bluntly, it almost feels like role play for monsters, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Lord of the Rings, bring a torch. So we've
2: hit on alchemist fire and oil a little bit. Um, For a lot of players, these are going to be the actual most interesting ways that they bring fire into a fight. Like unless you're a spellcaster and you're you know throwing fireballs or whatever, you're going to use oil. You're going to use alchemist fire. Um, Now a a lot of systems like making making oil into a weapon is super frustrating. In 3x, it took two turns and had a fifty percent failure chance. PF two takes two actions. 50% 50% failure chance and then does like a pittance of damage 5e weirdly makes oil surprisingly good um, you can throw oil on the floor and it'll burn for two rounds or you can throw it on a creature and if they take fire damage they take an extra five points of fire damage which like a lot of times that's real good especially if they're vulnerable to fire if it's troll something like that um, that may be more damage you can do with a bad weapon attack the uh, 2014 version of the Thief Rogue has a, an ability called Fast Hands, which lets you use an item as a bonus action. One of the things you can do is throw oil. So if you have somebody in your party who likes fire damage, just every turns, like, I'm going to sneak attack and then I'm going to throw oil on somebody and everyone's going to celebrate. It's going to be great. Um, and then, of course, Alchemist Fire. Uh, 3x Alchemist Fire is garbage. PF2 it's your standard bomb it does fire damage up front and persistent fire in 5e it's 1d4 fire damage per turn until the creature or another adjacent creature spends an action to extinguish it.
1: Yeah, the one like that doesn't sound like a lot. The one positive thing I'll say is that due to the how much the action economy in 5e sucks compared to other games, making them burn that action to end that persistent damage in and of itself, is extremely valuable to the party, especially if this is a party versus one creature combat.
2: Absolutely. And uh, that persistent fire damage can trigger concentration checks. It can um, suppress trolls' regeneration. Um, Just all kinds of nasty stuff.
0: Yeah. Action economy is king in 5th edition, and anything you can use to burn
1: actions down even more is very good. All right. Well, great news, folks. Uh, this week, our question of the week is lit. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm in hell. <laughs> Everything's on fire. Everything's on fire. This week, our question of the week comes to us from Tr. What can D&D pull from other TTRBGs to give Marshalls more of a boost to match up with spellcasters?
0: Easy. Play Pathfinder 2.
1: <laughs> That's, I, I like, I read this question. I literally had the same thought of like, is that an answer? It's like, just go play a different game if you want Marshalls uh, to not suck. Yes. Okay, no, we, we have to answer this question. What are we going to do in 5e? I, I'm going to go first. I'm going to cheat. Okay. What I think makes Marshalls interesting in Pathfinder 2, which you, you can't quite completely pull off, but is essentially, many of the marshals have a decision tree tied to the traits of what you might do in a turn. So like for my first action, I'm going to try this. Uh, And if it works, then my next action is going to be to do a or B. Um, And, and that tree keeps it interesting enough. The, The likelihood of you either hitting or missing keeps it interesting enough that a, you can deal enough damage and B you don't feel like, Alright, I attack, I hit or I miss, it doesn't matter. Then I action surge and I attack again. Like it it, it keeps it spicier than that. Um so I think looking at a couple of key features from Pathfinder 2, attempting to bring them in and then allow if you successfully attack, you can then use a bonus action as a follow-up for a second attack, almost like a a, a, a feint and attack like you would do with a swashbuckler or something like this. You could probably pull this off and even, you know, hey, if you're willing to burn the action surge or you're using second attack, whatever the case may be, you could potentially have the same feel that marshals do in Pathfinder, allow the bonus damage on these feats, uh, and it could really feel good. But let's be honest, what am I really suggesting for you to do? Just play Pathfinder 2 with your marshals while you're playing 5e with everyone else.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think... 5V is just not a system that you can really I, I know everybody asks this question about fifth edition. It's like, how can we make Marshalls better? And this is a simple answer to the question is you can't, because the way that the system works is it just doesn't favor Marshalls very well. I think bounded accuracy really hurt Marshalls more than anyone else because one of the big things about martial classes, especially having Pathfinder one, where even in Pathfinder one, marshals are better than they are in fifth edition, was the advantage that they had was they could, they had better chances to hit than mages did. Like mages had garbage to hit, modif- like spell attack modifiers. They didn't have the same as like we do now, where it's basically the same and goes very high because you were attac- attacking touch AC. And so fighters could hit those higher numbers and they were good at taking out like regular AC. So you wanted to have the fighter to deal with the person who had bulky armor while having the mage deal with the one that had very low sort of flexibility and stuff like that. So they complemented each other in that way. And I think Randall's right. I think the main thing about Marshall's, in 5th edition is they don't feel like they have a lot of choices to make in combat. It's either move or attack, and that's kind of it. And I think a reason why Battlemaster is so popular is because it gives you buttons to push. It gives you options to do in combat. And I think, get rid of the Battlemaster. Let all Marshals just do that. Baseline. And let them have access to maybe all of those... Avi- don't let them pick one or two. Let them do all of those because there's nothing game breaking about that I feel and like in like in Pathfinder one you had different types of attacks you had fainting which I would love to see ha- make a comeback in fifth edition because fainting is really fun to do when you can pull it off and it's cool uh, there's um Uh, trip attacks, there's power attacks, there's all these different kinds of attacks that are very fun to do because you have those options, you have those choices. One of the fighter classes that I think did this fantasy really well was the gunslinger class that Um, Matt Mercer created Uh, feeds into the fancy. You have wing attack, you have uh, head attack, all these different like aimed attack shots that you can do with your gunslinger. And that's fun for people because it gives them options other than just, I rolled to hit. Do I hit? No? Okay. I'm done.
1: (laughs) I I want to add one more piece to this. Right. I feel like really what makes Pathfinder 2 work for this, you think about the 3-action economy, the spells that really matter in Pathfinder 2, use two of your three actions so what they really did is as far as the action economy goes is they made it more costly to do the main things that casters do where you've consumed two of your three possible resources by casting the typical spell that you're going to cast to deal damage whereas on the martial side you combine a free p tree with the fact that any of your actions will only ever consume one action unless it's effectively a double attack consuming two actions and and so I, I guess I say that to say like, I just, I think action bonus action sucks. I think Pathfinder really nailed it with a three action economy. And I'd be curious to see, you know, I guess we're not going to get it with one D&D, but eventually does D&D recognize that that style of action economy really is a great way to balance the system?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, a counterpoint to that would probably be, well, well, you know, in fifth edition, Mages can only cast one spell per turn or a bonus action spell and a cantrip. Whereas, you know, fighters at the high end can attack three times. I'm like, true, but because of the way uh, bounded accuracy works, fighters reach a certain level of damage that they will not exceed. Even with three attacks, you are not going to out damage a mage with their one spell because the scaling on their damage on mage spells is insane. And the other thing, and I think this feeds into the why Pathfinder 2 does this better, is uh, martial classes don't have to do multiple actions to just attack. They can do multiple actions to do other things. Maneuver, move around, raise a shield, all these different choices that they can do. But in 5th edition, if you want to do anything that's not attacking, you and the major are on equal footing. You both get just the one action. So... Yes, you do technically get to do more in a turn than a mage does, but that's only if you're doing one specific type of action. And that's why marshals are boring, because if you're not attacking, you're not playing optimally.
2: Yeah, I I think I agree with you guys on pretty much every point. Um, Like the, The root of the issue is marshals don't have enough to do Period and like the the issue extends outside of combat. Honestly, how many skills does a fighter have in five e? Uh, how many skills? Yeah, like three, four. You get you get two from your class, two from your background. How many skills does a wizard have in five e? Oh, so many. Four. Like it, almost everybody gets four. But spellcasters can also solve those skill problems with spells. There's also uh, bards who are just like I get all the spells. I yeah. get all the skills. Uh. Yeah, um, like martial characters should get more skills because they, those characters are accustomed to solving problems without magic, whereas spellcasters, magic is very much a crutch. Like, yeah. I'm a wizard. I'm not going to clean my room. I'm going to cast unseen servant. Does that mean I don't know how to clean? Yes, it does. I very much do not know how to scrub things because I have an unseen servant, whereas the fighter is like, yeah, I'm, I I've had to do this by hand my entire life. I'm very good at this. I will scrub all your pots and pans yeah, yeah.
1: one might even say proficient
2: <laughs> yes um and then yeah in combat we need more buttons to push like the weapon mastery system that one D is looking at i think that's a a good step in the right direction but the problem we're going to have is every martial character is going to have one weapon so they've got one button to push again yeah like the button is slightly more interesting. It's a bigger, shinier button, but it's still exactly one button. And that's uh-huh.
1: it's so much more fun when I smash it.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and that's also the
0: other major flaw with Marshals is that the, uh, their power progression is tied to the generosity of the DM. Because mm. uh, basically, uh, unless they get a magic weapon, like a very cool magic weapon, their damage is capped at whatever weapon they're using. And plus five. That's it. You can't go higher than that. And so, if you just have a great sword, <laughs> you, for the rest of your entire career, if the DM doesn't give you any magic weapons, your max damage is 2d6 plus five. Whereas the mage over here, he got a new spell. He can do 10d6 damage with one spell <laughs> to multiple people. To everything, people, in, the room. To everything yeah.
1: in the room. What use are you exactly? <laughs> uh, just stand up there and be a meat shield. Yeah. Okay, actually. <laughs> I I do have a mechanic that I think would be interesting. So uh, persistent damage in PF2 is really exciting. I I think most folks definitely associate it with the alchemist. Imagine bringing a persistent damage tied to bleed, tied to a certain attack type, making that available to your marshals. I think that could be a great mechanic where like, hey, I'm, I'm stacking these bleed damages, um... In a way that, like, I'm dealing extra damage every turn because I keep making strikes. I'm willing to burn my action surge to get another opportunity to put on bleed. And that can really make or break a fight if a fight is going to go over several rounds. Um, So, what do we expect in 5e? The average round, excuse me, the average combat is going to go for three rounds. Um, So, that's not, you know, maybe it's not going to be super impactful there, but when we get into the big bads or when we get stuck in a fight, I think adding something like, hey, that was a really great strike with the sword, and the fact that you rolled, let's say, an 18 or above, in addition to this, we're going to add a bleed, that might feel impactful. It, at least it's going to bring joy at the table. Yeah, Or, or give Marshalls
0: higher crit that like range. That is also a way that you can deal with the bounded accuracy. As uh, Marshall classes get higher level, they, they can crit at 19 or 20, and then maybe 18 or 19 or 20. Like yep. that would separate them
1: from mages even more. We, we have a fighter subclass that does that in five e right. Champion, yeah. yeah. It's one but fighter subclass,
0: until... and it only gets to it only gets you to nineteen or twenty.
1: That's it. Uh,
2: you get to 18, eighteen at like level fourteen. I oh, would say, you? Oh, <laughs> which
1: is too late. Yeah. It's too yeah. late. <laughs> too late for it's like, matter. Yeah, your uh, world has sucked for so long. Yeah. Uh, yeah, God, I, I think that's actually like a great idea that long. Yeah, giving <laughs> giving all marshals that feat tree or, or even just for free, just, this is yours. You don't have to take it. I'm giving it to you. Mm. That to me also sounds exciting and spicy.
2: Yeah. Uh, better math, better damage progression like that. Um, Uh, more buttons to push like as you talked about like fainting and stuff like that the dmg does have some optional rules for special attacks like disarming and bull rushing and things like that Uh, absolutely use those we talked about them on the variant rules episode they're great they work fine use them we could add more to that and just make those options available to to, uh, martial characters like Gate those options behind martial weapon proficiency. There you go. Like, why can't wizards do this in combat? Oh, because they don't know how to use a longsword. Done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess that's, that's the best we got.
2: <laughs> I think that was pretty good, actually. We had some fun ideas.
1: Yeah. All hail the leisure Illuminati. I'm Reynold James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campster. You'll find me on RPGBot.net,
2: Facebook and Twitter, RPG, BOT, DOT, NET, and most other socials as RPGBot.
0: And I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes or my YouTube channel, Ash Raven Media, at Graven Ashes as well.
1: If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to rpgbot.content, polls for future content, and access to the rpgbot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash rpgbot.
0: My eyes are burning. I remember. 21st of September. Earth, wind, and fire. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's all. It's all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- th- there, there was an episode where I feel like I was singing. <laughs> it was like all the gods of Faerun, but to the tune of "We didn't start the fire." <laughs>
2: yeah, I love that. No, that was it was. Good. It was conditions.
1: It was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> ah. yeah. The way back. Boy, that was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Two years ago when we started this podcast. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh Lord.